What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. We are joined this week by Jordan Norwood. So Jordan's a former NFL player and a Super Bowl champion. He was part of that uh, Peyton Manning-led Broncos team. And he actually still holds the record for longest punt return in Super Bowl history, which I was able to confirm. (laughs) Good chance that one stands for a while, probably. So Jordan had a stellar collegiate and professional career. But what would be easy to overlook if you just kind of took it at face value is the amount of adversity he had to overcome and the amount of determination it took for him to realize that success. So we talk a little bit about this today. He received a last minute offer to Penn State, went undrafted, had a devastating knee injury that almost cut his career short. But there was no shortage of opportunities for Jordan to pack it in. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. You know, what does it take to persevere when faced with setbacks and challenges? And as fascinating as that is, what's equally as interesting to me is what Jordan is now doing in his quote unquote retirement. (laughs) He was an early adopter to the crypto space, and his second act as an entrepreneur has actually led him to what we describe as the Wild West in NFTs. So if you're listening to this and you still don't know what an NFT is, don't worry. We've got you covered. Jordan's going to explain it. And we'll talk about his project. It's called the Whitelist Aces Collection. And uh, we talk a little bit about what excites him about the space, the challenges that he sees, where he thinks he and his team can have a positive impact on the broader NFT community. And maybe most importantly, like, why does this matter to you? Right? What What is an NFT and why should I care? So with that said, uh, Sonia's actually out on vacation. She's drinking margaritas south of the border. So uh, I was not invited. So there's not going to be any Run It By My Wife episode this week, but don't worry, she will be back, so she says. And uh, yeah, all right, folks. Well, without further ado, let's welcome Jordan to the show. Here we go. We're going up. Awesome. Well, Jordan, thank you for coming on the show. We're excited to talk to you today. Absolutely, Ken. Thanks Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, you got it. Uh, and we were just catching up a little bit before. Um, so let's see. I, I graduated 2011. So I remember very vividly the big run Penn State had. Well, I guess what would that have been? 2008? 2009? Yeah, those those couple of years. Yeah, we 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 won some football games. <laughs> won a couple. Yeah. Won a couple. Some yeah. would even say a, a Big Ten championship. Right. Um and so I, I remember you because, you know, stellar standout on a stellar team. Uh, and I knew you had a great NFL career and we were just catching up on this. But what I didn't realize is your path uh, to and through the NFL, it, it feels like was just filled with adversity. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the things that I would love to just kind of ask you is, you know, what, what is that experience like? What does it take to not only get to the NFL, but to stay in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, how much how much time do we have? It, I mean, it's, it's such a it's such a crazy. Um, I mean, first of all, just blessed by the experience. I mean, can't believe that I. Um, to be honest, I can't believe that I played Division One college football, much less um, in the NFL, and much less in a Super Bowl. So, um, so it, it doesn't happen very often, and I don't kind of. I kind of don't. I don't take that um, that I had that experience lightly. I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Um, 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's an experience that, um, you know, takes a lot of obviously it takes a lot of hard work. It takes um, a lot of skill and op- intangible just kind of opportunities and, yeah. and things like that kind of um you know, you, you can't really write a write a rubric for getting to the NFL and being successful. It kind of just has to the ball has, has to land a certain way for you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, with that being said, my, my NFL career was um, was all of that it was intangible things, kind of relationships. I had a GM. Uh, well, first of all, I was undrafted out of college. Right. Um, decided to sign as a free agent with the Cleveland Browns who had who had drafted two receivers so that first of all that was a poor decision that's not if there is a rubric that's not in the rubric. yeah that's not the one okay yeah if you're yeah if you're undrafted (laughs) don't go sign at a place where they drafted two wide receivers it's going to be really hard to make that football team out of Um, of curiosity do you remember who those two guys were that they drafted oh yeah absolutely uh mohammed masakoy and brian rabisky oh man so masakoy was um might have been a i think he was their second round pick Okay. Uh, from Georgia, and then Brian Rubisky played at Ohio State. Got um, it. And he was, I think he might have been like a fourth-round pick, uh, yeah. thir- third or fourth-round pick, um, if not higher. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I walked into a situation where there weren't many roster spots available, um, and there wasn't one available. I didn't make the team. Um, I was I was cut um, in Cleveland. I went to yeah. Philadelphia. Um was on their practice squad for a year. The next year in, in Philadelphia, I got cut and sent back to Cleveland uh, to be on the practice squad still. Um, and a lot of those transactions, actually all the transactions, um, or not all, but many of the transactions in my NFL career were um, were me actually following a, a, a GM around. Um, really? Or, or a head scout. So, um, Oh, interesting. So, yeah, the – I'm not sure what his role was in Philadelphia. It, w- it might have been director, director of player personnel, but Tom Eckert, um, okay. who passed away about six years ago. Um, oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just a shame. It's just an incredible human being, but hmm. um, also somebody that I, you know, cherish the relationship because he brought me to Philadelphia. He brought me back to Cleveland when he was the GM at Cleveland. He got a job here in Denver with the Broncos, brought me to Denver, so... Um, so that that's that's kind of part of the way it works. I mean, yeah. net, networking is a real thing in the NFL, also. So. That's so interesting because um, I've talked to quite a few folks, and I don't think like this kind of storyline or conversation has come up yet. Just like how important the relationships are, even at that level, you know? Because I think right now, um, for the average person, there's so much transparency in terms of like the combine the pro day you're like oh well clearly it's like these scouts are dialed in there's all these measurables like they have a way they're grading these guys you know it's it's very quantifiable right i think is like the perception a lot of folks have um but you know to hear you describe it like yes and, and again like if anyone wants to look it up jordan's measurables are pretty insane so um but it sounds like the relationship piece that networking uh can be you know if i'm not putting words in your mouth just as important yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, and not I think, I mean, scouts and GMs are looking for some little bit of not quantifiable data that they mm. they can, that they actually sometimes hang their hat on. Like, you know, yeah. I go to bat for this kid because of this one play he had in his college career that yeah. showed me something that, you know, I mean, a catch or a run or a tackle, um, 
that I mean, to be honest, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the quantifiable stuff, um, obviously, we all know that a lot of times it doesn't pan out. Um, mm. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just think that there's GMs that um, are willing to put their name on the line for guys. I mean, Tom, Tom Ecker did it for me, yeah. um, but willing to put their name on the line for guys that might not, um, you know, fit fit a specific mold. Um, which, you know, gives a lot of people an opportunity. So, yeah. Well, and, and for you, like, look, I have some assumptions, so I don't want to completely put words in your mouth, but you know, like what, what was it that separated you from the pack? Uh, and you know, maybe what is it that you think others saw, but for you, you know, what was it that kind of set you apart? Uh, sure. I mean, it, it, it was, it definitely wasn't, um, like, it definitely wasn't strength. <laughs> I, I've never, I've never even laid under a bench with like 225 on it in my life ever. Um, so it definitely wasn't that. Um, but yeah. no, I, I think, I think my, as far as my skill set goes, it was, you know, quickness and agility, um, being able to get open. And then when I did get into training camps, um, it was those things I, I was, you know, skilled in those things, but yeah, the things that kind of took over were the coachability, uh, the mm. ability to learn a learn a playbook quick um, and know the ins and outs and, you know, kind of be somebody on the field that, you know, if you had one receiver that would never remember the play and another receiver that would remember it 60% of the time, you know, being able to have another receiver on the field that could be like, you got this, you got this. All right, let you, let's go. Um, right. You know, aside, somebody aside from the quarterback to do that is is usually helpful too. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of value in that. Sure. Um, so so if we could fast forward a little bit, and, and so for those who don't know, uh, Super Bowl champion actually I th- believe still actively holds a Super Bowl record for the longest punt return, if I'm not mistaken. You're not. Uh, but you know when I was when I was digging back into this, because again, like I remember that Super Bowl, I remember watching it, and it, it's it's interesting. It's you can take for granted the fact that the guys who were playing there in that moment. You know, again, probably a clear cut path. I've probably been on the team all year. We're dra- But when I looked, it, there's like two years missing from your NFL career, smack dab in the middle. Um, what, what was kind of going on in those years before the Broncos? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's literally almost three years missing. So I, I played, mm-hmm. um, came out of college 2009, practice squad a couple of years. Yep. Uh, got moved up for, I think, half of my second year. Then um, 2011 rolls around and I'm playing pretty well. I'm, you know, the third receiver in Cleveland. Uh, play two games. Um, I think I have 10 catches in that the second game of, of those two games. And then I get hurt. I get put on IR that year. Uh, yeah. That's 2011. That's a, solid, that's a solid pace, by the way. 10 catches in <laughs> two games. We're talking... Yeah. We're getting up near 80 catches over the course well, of the it year. Was, it was 10 games in one game. It was 10 games in just that second game. The first game, yeah, I, yeah, I got a couple catches. Um, oh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I got I get put on IR. Um, man, I'm trying – oh, yeah, this is what happened. So I got put on IR for a ha- for the rest of that season. So I only played two games in mm. – uh, that was 2012. And then 2013 comes, I'm back healthy – and I just get straight up cut from uh, the Browns and don't get picked back up. Uh, While well, I go to Tampa Bay for a week, I don't get picked up, picked back up that whole season. Um, so out 2000, pretty much 2012, 2013, all the way out. And then 
uh, the next calendar year, um, I, I signed like a futures contract in Denver and um, play really well. Um, about to make the team with Peyton Manning at quarterback, yeah. and I tear my ACL. Um, so, so it was actually it was closer to closer to three full seasons that I was um, that I was out of football and um, you know wondering if I would ever ever be able to play again and and all that. So, just, well, there, just there's a, there's there's a lot of guys too. Again, right? Like, yeah, stellar college career, but undrafted. You know, I mean, I don't even know how many times you said you had been cut at this point. You have success; it's kind of ripped away. Um, I think a lot of guys would have walked away. I think a lot of guys do walk away, right? So, for you, um, you know, what kind of enabled you to persevere and, and stay determined and stay committed to something that already, just to get a spot on a roster, is such an incredible feat? Like coming back from injury, like. What kept you going? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was a few things. And I mean, I mean, I think to start off answering that question is yeah. there was a lot of doubt and a lot of, hmm. you know, self-doubt. And, you know, maybe this isn't for me. And, um, you know, all of the, all of those things yeah. are, a part of, are definitely a part of the story, too. Um, but, I mean, I, I would say support system, um, family and um, close friends encouraging me. Um, my faith and, and kind of my spiritual background, I think played a big, big part in really kind of coming to terms with, you know, God has whatever God has for me, it's going to happen. And, you know, whether that's football or, or life after football, um, you know, I was kind of coming to terms with that and, you know, still at the same time, still, you know, training and, um, you know, rehabbing if I needed to rehab. And making sure that, you know, if football was going to be the opportunity that I was still going to be ready for it. Yeah. Well, you know, I I love your willingness to say that because I think a lot of people can relate to that piece. You know, maybe having a big dream, but also having a lot of self-doubt. You know, it's so it's I think it's probably refreshing for a lot of folks to hear that you you felt those same fears, those same setbacks, uh, that same kind of like questioning. so that's that's pretty amazing. And yeah, and and you know, the importance of family, I think, um, can't be understated. Like just the, the older you get, the more you realize like if you want to go after something, it's like you really need a strong support system because there are those kind of dark times where you're like, Man, like maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Um and, yeah, and I mean, you uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was I was just gonna say there was there was even in, in college, there was people that kind of stepped in or from high school to college specifically. I mean, I came out of college, I mean, out of high school, five, eight, 145 pounds, like very small, a very small (laughs) human. And I mean, it took people that like, I didn't believe in myself, not at all, but it took individuals. uh, There was a coach at Penn state named Kenny Carter that pulled me aside at um, like a summer, a Penn state summer football camp and said, Mm. I just want you to know that you can play at whatever level of football you want to play at. Wow. And no, nobody had ever said that to me. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe my dad did, but um, I didn't take his, his word with as much, um, you know, force as I would take somebody that I didn't know as well. So, um, right. so yeah, sometimes it, it, it takes somebody believing in you, especially when you don't even believe in yourself. Um, yeah. Kind of push you over the hump. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and so I've, I've kind of, uh, forced you to dig through a lot of setbacks 
<laughs> what what was it like? Uh, you know, to, to fast forward a little bit, you make the Broncos. You end up playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, you have a big play in the Super Bowl. I mean, what what was that experience like for you? Uh, I mean, it, it was incredible. I mean, just being at the Super Bowl itself is such a cool experience. Yeah. Um, but then playing in the game and you know being on the sideline and Lady Gaga walking directly past your face as she gets ready to sing um <laughs> a, a, whatever she's saying i don't know if she's right as you're suiting up to play a game you have lady gaga <laughs> exactly <laughs> i mean that's wild right so i mean it's it's such a unique experience um and i mean probably the moments that i cherish the most about it are, are actually outside of the football game they're yeah. you know celebrating after the game with my family um you know we walk into this after party and there's Flo Rida just on the stage, like little private after party. And we just all went crazy, obviously, um, after the game. So, That's um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, yeah, there's the football game in the, in the big plays and, um, or I only had one big play, but, um, I don't know, I guess we can always go back on YouTube and, and watch that. The things that I like to reminisce about are, um, you know, remember when, my buddy fell asleep in the hotel lobby and, um, you know, was there for eight hours <laughs> sleeping right on the ground. So, um, that's what I like to reminisce. About. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, on a stage like that, can, can you even, can you even like take that in? Like, I know you said you saw Lady Gaga walk in front of you, but I mean, you know, are you just so laser focused? Like, I feel like sometimes when people get into that state, they can't even remember what happened. They have to watch right. it back on tape to even be aware of like what was going on. Yeah, no, I think I, I agree with that. Um, there's definitely, there's definitely that sense of, you know, pinch me or in football, it's probably like hit me. Like, you know, you don't really realize right. where you are until you get that first get that play first in, hit. and yeah, get hit or touch the football um, or something like that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, even to your point, I, I definitely have gone back and watched the game and not remembered this happened or that happened, um, or seen my reaction to something that I like, what was I thinking? Um, so it's, it's, it's really, it's really a unique situation. And, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the stage doesn't get, get much bigger. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, I, I want to transition, but actually one question that just came to mind, I always thought this has been so interesting, you know, like uh, professional sport, professional, uh, whatever the situation is, right? High stakes, a lot of eyes on you. Punt returner specifically, like th that has to be like, I returned kicks in college, so I know what that's like, but you have a lot of time with the ball in the air. No one's going to touch you. You're going to get a clean shot at the ball. Um, what is it like stepping out on the field to return a punt in the NFL? Like, do the nerves eventually go away or do you get them every single time that you step out there to feel the punt with those, you know, in yeah. that situation? I, I have the nerves right now because you brought it up. <laughs> let's, let's just put it, let's just put it Got that it. way. It, it, I mean, it never, it never goes away. I mean, I honestly would never wish that job description on anybody. Um, it's, it's just it's just a it's just a tough it's just it's a tough job um you know catching a football that's you know 100 feet up in the air um right. while people run full speed at you 
Um, you know, and yeah, you some, have, some of the best athletes in the world running right. close to you with, with trying, trying to put themselves on the map by blowing right. somebody yeah. up with one intent. <laughs> they have one intent yeah. to separate you from the football. Like, um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't, um, my mom hated that I, that I had that job. Um, she hated always watching forget about, plays. there's always the mom right. <laughs> <laughs> who's wishing her baby was not out there doing that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I, w- I would not go back to the NFL for that um, for that job at this point yeah. in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Too much on the line. Well, yeah. and maybe that's that's a good segue. One of the reasons that I was really excited to talk to you is um, you've done some really interesting things after football, and I think there's a lot of folks who you know they look at these guys in the NFL and they say, you know, you play eight years, like what are you prepared to do after that, right? Um, and you know, so for you, you, you've had some really interesting entrepreneurial pursuits. Um, I'm very interested in what's going on in, in the crypto space and I'm, I'm learning more about NFTs and we can talk about that. Um, but for you, what did that transition look like? Uh, you know, you, you decide that you're going to retire from the NFL, like what comes next? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not an easy transition. I don't think, I mean, I, I can't imagine it's easy for anybody. Yeah. Um, and for me specifically, um, why? So, well, first of all, I, I was able to, fortunately, able to retire on my own um, kind of decision. Uh, my contract yeah. was up in Denver, and I just called my agent and said, "Don't call me anymore about any teams that want me to come try out." Um, he still called me, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was I was able to transition kind of into a creative space that I was in uh, with photography. Um, I had kind of started that transition towards the end of my last year, um, just taking pictures. Um, yeah. And so, so my wife and I did that actually for um, a year and a half or so, two years. And we, or we still do it, uh, to be honest. Hmm. Um, but from there, kind of, I got into cryptocurrency. Um, so kind of the creative background with photography and graphic design, and then being introduced to crypto. Um, also so when, being... When were you first introduced to crypto? Uh, 2016. Oh, it's a good time um, to be introduced. The best time. No, yeah. <laughs> that's, I a mean, pretty, <laughs> that's a good time to start paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, su- I mean, super fortunate to, to be introduced to, to crypto then. Um, yeah. and yeah, I mean, really kind of the combination of crypto and a creative background and I'm into collectibles too, like trading cards and sneakers, mm. um, so I feel like that kind of combination leads people to NFT. I mean, that's basically what NFTs are is blockchain and collectibles and uh, art. So, um, you know, kind of those, these three things led me into uh, the NFT space about a year ago now. Okay. And, yeah. And so I got kind of got into it just by, you know, buying a few NFTs and, and figuring out what they are, what they mean, uh, how could, they have we, a value. Could, yeah, could we even start there? Just for people who are listening, they said, "Hey, I was I was coming on the show to listen to Jordan Norwood talk about the Super Bowl, and now now I'm learning about NFTs. They they might not be well aware of what it is, and frankly, I could probably use an education myself. So, uh, could could you just describe at a high level, you know, like what is an NFT? Sure. Um, yeah. So the acronym NFT stands for non fungible token. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, the first part of understanding what an NFT is and is, is understanding fungibility and, um, you know, what that means. And, uh, so a, a fungible, 
item or asset is something that can be traded for uh, equal value. So a, a dollar yeah. bill, um, a dollar bill in my pocket is Equivalent the same as it. a dollar bill in your pocket, even yeah. if your dollar bill is, you know, a little bit ripped and old and dirty and mine is fresh, new and crisp. Mm. We can we can trade those dollar bills and still retain the same value. Um, those items are fungible. Uh, whereas, whereas something that's non-fungible is, um, something like, uh, a tr- like a, a trading card could be non-fungible. Even if, um, if we, we both have a Babe Ruth, uh, rookie card, yeah. uh, mine has a little bend on the corner and isn't in a glass case. Yours is in a glass case, pristine, you know, whatever they call that pristine level yeah. uh, trading card. We're not, I mean, even though it's the same tops trading card from 19, whatever year, um, we're not going to trade those. There's not, they have two different, they're they're the same thing, but they're not the same thing, uh, sort of thing. And, um, so that, so that's what non fungibility is. And then the token part of that, the non fungible token, um, that part is, is basically where blockchain comes into play. And, uh, these non fungible items, um, living on a blockchain, which is essentially a ledger. Um, it's basically automatic accounting, um, hmm. you know, a record of every transaction that uh, happens in, um, in the life of that non-fungible item, not non-fungible token. Um, it's, it's so it's similar to, again, like using a Babe Ruth rookie card. It would be, you know, that, that card was made in I don't know what year. What year did Babe Ruth play? It's so funny that you say that because I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, what year did he? I'm like, nineteen. I'm, I'm not even going to hit 19? the right. Date. I know. I know. All right, don't let's worry. call early it 1900s. early 1900s. Early 1900s. <laughs> um, so, so, anyways, it's it's basically like, um, like that card. The the transactions of that card, wherever that card is traded hands. Say, yep. you know, my great grandfather had it had it and handed it straight down. Every transaction would be you know, traceable on this, on this blockchain. Um, and that's, you know, people see a lot of value in that. Um, and there's, there's it's, reasons of monetary, monetarily, they see the value and, um, ver- being able to verify something also, they see the value. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the ability to verify the transparency for, for anyone who has dabbled in, um, you know, kind of any facet of cryptocurrency, like once you get your head around, uh, you know, like I said, the transparency, the verification, the speed. Um, when you start talking about like transacting a collectible in the form of an NFT, it just like the instant liquidity, the instant ability to find a buyer, you know, maybe not the price you want, but like the the the, the quickness with which that you can transact, it, it really is mind blowing. Um, and, uh, you know, so maybe maybe to continue down that path a little bit, you uh, started your own project uh whitelist hold on don't let me get it wrong white is it whitelist.o and then the project is aces uh yeah so the whitelist.o is it's it's just the web address uh yeah, the whitelist.o yeah, yeah. and then uh the collection is called the aces collection yep perfect you got it right yeah. yeah so where does one even begin starting that type of collection so obviously you're you're interested in crypto uh you, you already are creative in nature it sounds like um, but you know, I have to imagine something of this scale, it's, it's as much a business as it is like a creative pursuit. So where does one even begin with a, with a project or a collection like this? 
Uh, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a lot to be honest. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's something that I, I mean, jumped into, uh, well, jumped into the space, like I said, a year ago and that, you know, introduced me to several, uh, kind of similar projects that, uh, turned out to be what I uh, also created. Hmm. Um, but I, I basically just saw a big, um, a decent sized gap in the industry and, and most of that gap just circled around integrity. Uh, there wasn't much of it and there still isn't much of it in the NFT space. Um, mm. and, and kind of almost like any emerging market, um, you know, it's, it's like the wild, wild west before it's actually regulated by some, you know, whether it's, and again, the word centralization is kind of a, uh, a tough word to bring into the, into the conversation with crypto and NFTs, but in, until there's some sort of, regulatory body it can be a decentralized regulatory body i guess but yeah. um but things are going to be things are going to be kind of uh sketchy i guess and um you know i saw an opportunity to to really try to bring some integrity to the space and um you know hof- hopefully that's what i've accomplished it feels like that's what i've accomplished uh with the aces collection yeah and and can, can we even talk for a moment about what it takes to produce the artwork for the collection itself. Um, and if you'd like to, like, I think people would love to understand better what, what makes up this collection, right? Because I think, uh, you know, NFTs can encompass like a wide berth of, of different things, assets, et cetera. Um, you know, what, what is the ACES collection? Uh, yeah. So, so the ACES collection is essentially a membership. Um, and the, the membership is, displayed uh graphically it can be displayed by this piece of artwork that you get mm-hmm. uh, a non-fungible token that comes with a piece of artwork that you know there's a, a social aspect to this membership uh, yeah. so you can use that piece of artwork for your profile picture um it's like a little a character that we call an ace it's a little 3d character with a with a floating head um and some some cool traits but um but yeah, I mean, as far as the actual membership goes, like what that NFT gets you aside from just a cool profile picture is much or is meant to be much like um, like a, a credit card membership. Um, so mm. it would be things like discounts to different companies and, um, you know, partnerships, corporations, businesses, um, and then also um, in real life experiences and opportunities um, that effectively you, you just show your NFT at the door and you're let in, uh, hmm. to, to certain things. So, um, so that, that's kind of the very broad scope. Um, we've had a couple, um, we just launched this membership on January, January 31st. Yeah. Um, and we've had a couple or one specific, um, event at Super Bowl week in LA, uh, which was really cool. We had, um, uh, former athletes, current athletes, uh, football and major league baseball, um, a couple actresses, actors, uh, the, the event was right in Hollywood. Uh, there was a red carpet, there was a step and repeat Mm. backdrop. So that had our branding where people would, you know, stop and have pictures taken by, um, hired paparazzi. Um, but, (laughs) but, but really the, what happened that was really cool um, is that people that uh, purchased uh, the NFT collection that uh, I founded um, and were, you know, given this membership, they had access to go to this event, um, mm. you know, 
come in there and, you know, I had to put my arm around them, put, put my arm around them and say, you know, Hey, they're with me. Uh, even though I had just met them in that moment, right. um, which was also kind of, kind of nerve wracking. I mean, you know, co-signing for a person that you've never met before. And that's, you know, you're going to introduce them to, sure. um, you know, former Super Bowl champions and pro bowlers and things like that. Um, there's a little bit of risk. Little bit of risk, <laughs> risk there. Yeah. There. yeah. Um, you're putting your neck, name on the line a little bit. Right. But it, I mean, fortunately it went well, it went really well actually. And, um, you know, we, we did some things beforehand to, um, you know, we just had video calls with people to make sure they were a little bit of vetting. Uh, yeah, just a little bit of vetting. Make sure they were <laughs> real people, first of all. Um, sure. And not 13-year-olds also because oh, yeah. that's that also um, – you just don't know. You don't know who you're talking to. Right. Um, yeah, so. Well, that that's one of the things – uh, you know, admittedly, like I, I've really been paying attention to the crypto space the last couple of years. Um, and I mean, once you start going down that rabbit hole, there's no shortage of directions that you can go with it. Um, and in preparation for this interview, I was, you know, I was like, all right, I need to get boned up on my NFT knowledge here. Like I understand broadly how it works. But one of the things um, that is so interesting to me, and I'm, I'm glad that that's what you led with, is this idea that, hey, look, not only, and it depends upon the collection, um, but not only are these, you know, a collectible or, uh, you know, an artistic asset, but it, it's a means of being a part of a community. And I think there's probably a, a steep learning curve for most people to even begin to go down this path, like to where in the hell do I buy an NFT? Um, but the thought that not only are you buying into something that's collectible, but it's actually going to enable you to have access to real life experiences um, is, I think, a really interesting proposition. And so when you say bring some integrity to the space, you know, what, what does that mean to you? I guess like what, what is the mission for the collection long-term? What are you hoping to achieve with it? Uh, yeah. I mean, long-term, I mean, we, we would love this membership to be, um, you know, something that first of all, people, individuals that are in the membership are proud to use and find value in and, um, you know, are, are, are proud to, share with their friends and try to get, you know, friends and family in, involved um, yeah. in the community. Um, I think that's kind of the, you know, the overall goal for this. Um, as far as what integrity um, looks like in the space or doesn't look like more specifically. Yeah, that might um, be an easier place to start. Yeah, I mean, I mean, essentially <laughs> what, what happens, um, I mean, there's so much anonymity in crypto in general um mm -hmm. first of all that it makes it it potentially can make it easy to you know scam your way into a lot of money um yeah and and that's and that's basically what some individuals are doing um and it, i mean it's so interesting because we talked i mean just you know, five minutes ago, we talked about how transparent blockchain is and, um, and how that's a, um, you know, a, a value proposition when it comes to blockchain is, uh, that irrefutable ledger that tracks everything. And, you know, mm -hmm. how does that work with anonymity? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's basically, um, I mean, I, it, it's almost like using cash, but cash is even more anonymous, but, um, I mean, essentially, if you don't know somebody's uh, cryptocurrency wallet address, then you can't you can't find them. Basically, if you can't connect the wallet address to an actual human being, 
then they then they can pretty much stay an- anonymous. anonymous yeah but that's the split second then you that you can connect the person to the wallet then you can see every single transaction that they've ever made and yeah and all of that so uh so so basically when it comes to integrity is it's it's people that will um you know you've seen all these board ape yacht club nfts uh those are basically those apes that um you've probably seen some people with profile pictures i mean yep. people can uh basically stream um screenshot goodness i can't think of the word screenshot those and save them and and do what's called minting them as a brand new nft um so people think that they're buying the brand new um uh the real board ape yacht club nft from the real collection yeah um, but without without knowing any better you're you're just buying um uh, so a, here's a cheap he, knockoff yeah a cheap knockoff which is similar to, i mean people say that all the time like why can't i just save the picture like sure that's literally the same thing and so, I mean, back to our um, very poor Babe Ruth card uh, analogy, but it, that's essentially the same thing as seeing the Babe Ruth rookie card that's a tops, you know, whatever, and scanning mm. it and scanning it, printing it out, putting it on, you know, some solid card stock and mm-hmm. saying, hey, I have a Babe Ruth rookie card. Right. I mean, we all understand forgeries that concept. happen and are a huge part of the art world. Right. It's yeah. I mean, we we all art. understand why that's not a real Babe Ruth rookie card. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. You know, as someone who has created a collection, and we talked a little bit about community, but you know, I, I think the the question that I often get when talking to someone who's new to the space or is trying to wrap their head around it is they're like, hey, "What what even gives this value?" Right. Like what is the value here because to on to an outsider it's like why can't i just take a screenshot of this and now i have it right so from your perspective you know what is it and maybe we could even just talk about like one individual like nft within your collection like what gives something like that actual value uh i mean the the people most the most immediate Mm. answer is the people give it value um in the same way um you know, in the same way that sneakers are sold, like this pair of Air Jordan sneakers is sold for a hundred dollars, and this one is also sold uh, from the store for a hundred dollars. But there's a line out the door for this pair of sneakers, and there's not a line for this one. Um, mm. it, it's it's the people, the culture um, that gives things value, um, and, yeah. it, and it's no different. It's really no different with NFTs, and some of the some of that value is is rooted in the artwork um, mm-hmm. itself. Um, maybe it's some unique artwork that you've never seen before, a combination of, um, you know, traits or styles or uh, mediums used that you, you haven't seen. Or it's the artists themselves sometimes. I mean, there's artists out there that are um, that their name just carries weight. And thus, if they, you know, if they go from doing street art on doing graffiti to creating an nft collection then yeah people are going to want that nft yeah you know they're going to want that so um yeah i mean so there's there's all sorts of things that that give value uh just generally in terms of our collection it's a combination of the art that's a lot of um that's a lot of what brought people to our collection to begin with Mm -hmm. um is the art and our our two artists are actually based in munich germany um and they they did a, a phenomenal job um and then there's kind of the utility piece, which is, you know, what can you do with this NFT? 
Mm. Um, what value does it bring, um, you know, Joe Schmo that mints the NFT or buys the NFT on, um, on a secondary market. And then, you know, one, one of the coolest things that um, happens is that people come into our community and they're like, wait, I didn't realize, um, you know, a, a former Super Bowl champion made this NFT. Like, that's incredible. Like, right. Um, and, and I just think it's so cool that I don't need to like try to, you know, boost my platform or, or use my platform even to, um, to, to boost this, this project or boost this yeah. membership. Yeah. Well, and I, I've got another question for you, but that's something that, you know, when I take a step back and I look around when people are like, well, what, what is the value there? I'm like, well, what is the value for any of this shit? that people are spending a ton of money on, like, honestly, and I'm not calling your NFT shit, but you know, art in general, like I can't think of a more subjective medium that we ascribe value to, you know what I mean? Or at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's like, is there demand for it? Is it scarce? Um, you know, that's, that's what kind of seems to ultimately drive the perceived price of something. So I, you know, I don't understand why NFTs would be any different. Um, but I do think it's really interesting. The fact that, you know, like w when thinking about your project, um, there's a lot more that goes into it than I think what just appears at face value. It's this idea of community, this, uh, this, uh, ability that not only can you take this digital good, but you can actually use it to get some sort of benefit in the real world as, as well, which is really interesting. Um, artistically, something I wanted to ask you, how do you even go about, you know, what is it? 10,000? pieces right how, how does the team go about generating um you know that artwork what does that process look like how big is that team um and actually th did you have a hand in designing any of the actual pieces yourself uh no uh well not directly um yeah definitely had had um a part in the creative process and the vision for it um but i mean the, creating that many pieces of art um is pretty intense um so essentially what uh what we did was create like a 3d uh base character and yeah. um, i kind of mentioned that it has a, a floating head and a, a 3d body those two uh, those two attributes are 3d and then we created a bunch of different textures that his head and arms could be made from mm. um a bunch of effectively a bunch of different hats hairstyles eyes mouth ears uh, a few things of, of clothing. Um, but I mean, j just that part alone was, you know, three or four weeks worth of just creating all of those different traits. Yeah. Um, and then the actual generation of the artwork was, um, so it was done by an algorithm to make sure that, mm. um, to make sure that number one, no, no two pieces were going to be the same. Um, yeah. And there's uh, frequencies that we basically decided on, um, you know, the all gold body is only going to appear in the collection, um, you know, 20 times. So it's a very rare piece if you get an all gold body. Hmm. Um, and that's a that's a hypothetical. That's not exactly what happened. Um, I don't you don't need to go try to try. Right. But yeah. And then and then in terms of actually. Uh, the hardware and, and stuff that goes into generating this stuff is massive and crazy. We had to, mm. we had to outsource um, a render farm that had 40 computers running simultaneously for five consecutive days in order to render. Um, really? Yeah. 
which, you know, costs about $10,000 just to do that alone. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, um, I didn't know that before I started the project. Sure. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty labor intensive and hardware intensive. Um, yeah. It's, so it's, it was, it was really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Well, I, I don't think I said this yet, but, um, you know, I was introduced by, uh, you know, one of my best friends, Jordan Colbreth, who was really passionate about what you're doing. Um, and I was like, all right, look, if I'm going to interview this guy, I need, I need to get my hand on an ACE. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy to say the first NFT I ever bought was, was one of the ACEs collection, but also again, this is just one of those things. And I understand why people are skeptical about crypto um, more broadly. You know, you mentioned integrity and some of these rug pulls and uh, general scams. I I come from the tech space, so it feels a bit more, uh, it makes a bit more sense to me just based on what I do day to day. But when you actually go through the process of buying an NFT, it's just, it's just like it all kind of makes a lot more sense. And you kind of were like, whoa, that was really easy. This is really fun. It's like now I own this individual asset. And like I, I did it with my wife. I mean, we were just laying down. You know, the kids are in bed. And I was like, all right, well, let's, hey, let's pick one out. You want to help me? And by the end of it, we had to like, be like we got to stop. We got to shut the laptop because we're going <laughs> to we're going to pour way more money into this thing than we intended to. Because it's just it's it's also just a fun experience. So. Um, you know, yes, of course, everyone would love to get rich, but I think, you know, for those that are passionate about collectibles in any form, this is just like a very natural progression. Um, and there's just so much capability that I think, you know, there's limitations you butt up against in the physical world. Like maybe your thing was Beanie Babies, right? You know, the, the ability to like, you know, find a buying party and someone who's going to be able to transact with you probably took a lot of time and effort man, just the ease and quickness with which this happens. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Where, where do you see this space going next? Are, 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 and I guess for, for your company, are, are you going to do more collections? Are you going to focus on this? Like what, what's the kind of the longer term vision for, for your team specifically? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're focused on this pretty, uh, pretty heavily. It's, it's still, um, it's still very labor intensive and, mm. you know, it, it's still, um, Honestly, before we launched the collection, it was, you know, 12 to 18 hour days, um, you know, just kind of at it all day. And, it, and not much has changed. Um, it's, it's still, you know, 10 to 15 hour days. So, um, yeah, yeah we'll, 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 we'll look to keep um, to keep growing this, number one, but also to, you know, find ways to have, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, flexibility with, with time um, on a regular basis. And then... In terms of the NFT space in general, um, I mean, I, I, I personally feel like five, 10 years from now, just about everything will be on the blockchain yeah. um, in some way, shape or form. Um, most immediately, I think ticketing is, you know, super easy um, to, to get into, uh, to turn into NFTs and, you know, make mm. sure that secondary market sales are being... Um, you know, track number one, but also and when you say ticketing, we're talking events, concerts, sport. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah. Any, any of those sorts of tickets, um, you know, even, even having the collectible aspect of it too, you know, mm. I went to this, I, I go to the Super Bowl and get my ticket. That's an NFT. Right. Um, and it's a, it's also a collectible. I can also sell that. Um, you know, I can sell it to somebody else and, the NFL gets royalties every time it's sold because, mm. 
because all of that is tracked. And um, so I, I think that's that might be one of the most um, readily available uh, NFT, you know, subsects subsects that yeah. uh, will be out there. Big um, opportunity. Yeah. Well, to your point, you're a busy man. So we appreciate you making the time. Um, for folks who would like to either learn more about what you're doing with the collection or just follow you in general, um, where would be the best place for us to direct them? Uh, yeah, uh, Twitter. So my okay. Twitter, my personal Twitter is uh, Jordan Orwood. It's like Jordan Norwood, but there's only one, one N in the middle there. There we go. Um, so Jordan Orwood and then uh, the whitelist IO is the Twitter handle for my NFT collection. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to post links to everything uh, in the show notes as well. But Jordan, thank you, man. This has been a fun conversation. And uh, I hope for some people, you know, if this is their first introduction to crypto and NFTs, I, I think it was a, a good a good high level overview and an interesting project if folks want to check it out and uh, learn more about it. So thank you for your time, man. Appreciate it. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and uh, look forward to, to getting you in the community a little bit. All right, let's go. I'm at the next Super Bowl. There we go. <laughs> I'll be there. Don't even, don't even video, uh, you know, FaceTime me prior to. I'm just right. going up to the door. No, we need to vet you out. <laughs> Better. All right. All right. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Appreciate it, man.